Welcome to The Observer Effect, a podcast of travel stories. Each week we hope to bring you a conversation with someone we meet overseas, and at least one good story. Episode 37, If You're Going to Standing Rock, Where Marianne Delivered Supplies. A sentence starts out like a lone traveler heading into a blizzard at midnight. Billy Collins. My first question, can you describe what you look like? What I look like? <laughs> yeah. um, For the audience, help them picture Okay, you. well, I'm going to turn 60-year-old woman. Uh, uh, kind of petite in stature, five foot three. I had graying, mid-length long hair, brown gray hair. Uh, yeah, that's what I look like. Yeah, very good. <laughs> and can you describe where we are right now? Oh, we're in my office which used to be shared with a dear friend who's moved across the hall to another office. looks like a scar. Yeah, so there's this empty (laughs) space here, empty desk, empty shelf. It's kind of like a half and half, right? Because this half of the room is representative of what the whole thing was, right? It's my office. It's filled with bookshelves and artwork and a very messy desk. There's a lot of artwork and a lot of photos. We couldn't cover them all, but could you describe a few representative things? Yeah, well, I've got a bulletin board that I just add to when things happen uh, or I receive things that are somewhat meaningful. So there's photographs and announcements of art events and art pieces and notes and poems. And I just kind of, actually, this was maybe six months ago dismantled. So it was about four layers deep. And I removed many layers just to start adding on them. But there's, you know, pictures of students and and, uh, co-workers at our Thanksgiving, uh, Halloween costumes and classes involved in different things. My students, Um, yeah. Yeah. Where do those layers go that you removed? Well, some things ended up in the garbage, and some things got thrown into a drawer at the back of a drawer, yeah. which someday will go into the garbage. Yeah. I have a hard time throwing stuff out. <laughs> I'm working on it. It's, that was like a, an exercise in what I need to do generally. Yeah. <laughs> Declutter. Uh, and yeah. can you talk about this place a little bit, what it is, what it does, and what it represents. My office or the ELA? ELA, yeah. The ELA. What things <sighs> happen, I, I think magical things happen in this office. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, on a personal level, it's been a major chunk of my professional life, so I've been here a long time. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a place that values community very strongly so community among the my peers and community the whole welcoming the students to this community of learner learners you know Mm -hmm. so I think community is like the first big word that would come to me yeah and welcoming 
Um, and well, excellence is a strong value here. And for those who don't know, oh, we teach kind of, oh yeah. we teach English as a second language here <laughs> to uh, uh, international students. And yeah. what are some of the most common countries from which well, students have come? In recent years, um, a large percentage of the population has been Saudi. Mm -hmm. um, we have a lot of Chinese students. Um, in past years, there were more students from South Korea, a lot of Thais, still have a fair number of those groups. Um, but South America, um, sometimes Europe and Africa, mm -hmm. but heavily Asian and um, from Saudi these days. And you see that fluctuate. It changes. Over the, years. the times change. I mean, the Saudis got a bunch of scholarships, so they were able to come. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, that is beginning to change. Um, when there's upheaval in a government like in Thailand right now, there's not as many Thais coming here. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Does that impact you? Does that change your approach in any way? Not the basic approach, but the specific approaches to teaching get adapted and yeah. adjusted to better fit the needs of the learners. Yeah. 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 But. So, so as you know, this podcast is examining how travel shapes people. Okay. So on the one hand, I'd love to just ask, you know, how you've seen coming to Chicago shape these students, oh, you know, wow. but that yeah. would, we could talk forever. Yeah, 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 but I'm yeah. also curious yeah. about your own travels. So yeah. you can, pick up any thread there you want. Well, there's no <laughs> doubt that travel changes you, um, especially if you spend a significant length of time in a place where you really get to know it. Mm. Um, but I think, you know, the, it, it changes you in that you get a chance to observe your assumptions and your cultural habits in a new light and to question them mm. and to choose to make choices about whether you want to continue to live in these habitual ways you've been living or make new choices. Yeah. You know, it just opens up the possibilities so much. Um, and would you say you've seen a lot of people sure. make that change? Yeah, absolutely. And for some groups like the Saudis, it's a stark change. And for some people, it's, it's too difficult to do that, especially if, if people have come from, um, and this is for anyone, people have come from, I don't know, more more limited experiences, and, and especially if there's a strong authoritarian kind of sense to their background. Yeah. It can just be overwhelming to suddenly have all these things questioned that they've already, always, you know, there's a disconnect. They're taught uh, it's bad to do X, and then they see all these people who seem very good to them yeah. doing X yeah. and it's like how do I manage this yeah. you know and if you can manage that it's a great growth and if you can't you're not going to have a successful travel experience you know people yeah. get too confused and just go back yeah yeah I've seen that yeah 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 I mean my first major travel experience was Right out of high school, I went to Columbia with my high school teacher, who was Colombian, and stayed with her family for, I don't know, three or four weeks. And parts of her family lived very alternative lifestyle uh, in a small town outside of Bogota. Um, 
they'd kind of like quit their jobs and the father had quit his job. They had a pottery studio. They made art. and It was astounding to me to experience this totally different lifestyle and the community of it. And, you know, it had its ups and downs. It wasn't all <laughs> idyllic. But it was like, oh, there's possibilities here. You can do something like not follow a career path and open up an art studio and live poorly, decide to live poorly, Yeah. but with your own time. So yeah. That was very interesting. Yeah. You know. Yeah. yeah. So. Do you think your experiences have fed into your encounters with your students in any way, the way that you approach students? Sure. Every, yeah, I think, and that's one of the things about the ELA, the English Language Academy, is that we have travel experience, living abroad experience, and so we remember, we know that feeling of being clueless, confused, um, excited, you know, exhilarated, all of that stuff, and then it kind of sorts out into a better understanding over time. So you can see the students going through those stages, too. Yeah. And we've experienced them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I have to fight the urge to make this an interview about teaching. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> because yeah. we've already done that. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, we'll go to something else. Yeah. So there's a specific travel experience you've had that mm -hmm. you told me about that I wanted to just capture mm -hmm. uh, from beginning to end. So can you just tell that yeah, story talk about going to standing rock yes yeah i don't know if i'd call that a travel experience mm. it's, it's like beyond travel experience it shares it shares <laughs> you know i mean it was a trip okay um yeah so um i've you know been following the no dapple effort probably since the summer. My son was the one who really brought it to my attention. and um, You mentioned that before. Did he get involved before you somehow? Yes, yes, and he was there in October. Okay. He went up in October. Yeah, he'd, um, he's, he's kind of generally more aware of protest movements maybe generally, but also um, had had some contact with some elders um, and um, water protectors at a music festival. Mm -hmm. And so actually those people came and stayed with us for a few days. And so that's where I really started to um, hear more about the struggle and what people were doing. And then when the call came out, like, you know, come, come we want people to come we need people to support um and we need supplies that court uh it, i had a break from work i can't generally do things like this but in december we have a long break so i had a long period of time free and my husband's retired so we decided to go up for a few days um to bring supplies and to be a support at this time when they were talking about um, um, dismantling the camp, they'd mm -hmm. said they were going to evict, you know, you're illegal and blah, blah, blah. And it was the same weekend that the veterans were going. And my husband is a vet, and though he doesn't usually identify himself that way, yeah. having the vets go up there was 
um, inspiring and meaningful, and he felt connected to it that way. So he wanted to go up on that weekend. So we went up, um, drove through snowy conditions through Minnesota, um, and again, how long is the drive from drive's Chicago? Drive's 13, 13 hours. So yeah. the snowy conditions, it made it a little bit longer. And we had planned, um, we brought supplies to camp, um, but figured we'd spend the first night in a hotel so we'd have fewer nights camping yeah. because it was very cold. Yeah. So we had planned to go up to um, a hotel. I can't remember the name of the town right now that we stayed in. Mobridge, Mobridge, South Dakota. And... It's just like an hour away. And so we, as we're driving about an hour from Mobridge, we were listening to the news and we heard that um, the uh, uh, Army Corps decided to uh, have an environmental impact statement to stop, um, not allow the easement um, for construction. So that felt like a great Victory, even though it's a small victory, but it's a victory, yeah. you know, and it felt really like, whoa, that's something. This is something. It was, it was great. It was a, a good feeling. On the way there. On the way there, about an hour from. What an so uplift. That's it was. It was great. And then we, when we got to Mobridge, we pulled into found this little hotel. Um, coming out from the hotel, there was a vet who was just, I mean, it was a very uh, unified, celebratory feeling. You know, and he was like, oh, you're here for Standing Rock. And, hey, oh, I'm going down to the casino to celebrate. <laughs> you know, people were were happy. And we went to a um, restaurant in town, and the same thing. There were a table behind us. There was a, a Native person being interviewed. Um, and there was another table of people from Colorado who'd come um, as water protectors. And the feeling was very positive, mm-hmm. but not Pollyannish. It was like nobody was thinking, okay, this is over. But yeah. it was like a small victory. Yeah. And it had come on the heel of a lot of, like, violence against the protesters. And, you know, um, they had, there were, there were reports that hardware stores weren't selling propane because the cops had asked them not to sell propane, mm-hmm. which is the heat source and the cooking fuel for yeah. people. You know, there were, there were a lot of things like this that were discouraging. Yeah. So getting this encouraging news was really good. Yeah. Anyway, so, you know, talking with other people and, um, yeah. The Native man who was being interviewed was from Minnesota, I believe. He's a wild rice harvester, and he has canoes. He had brought canoes, and they had been vandalized by... Um, dapple security like cut in half and you know just ruined yeah and so he was talking to the reporters about this and his plans to sue and things like that and so it's like good and bad it's yeah, like yeah, yeah. but but he said something and this is something else I heard later he said something like I thank them for doing this because it has inspired me to take the fight yeah. to stand up to the fight you know, and that's something I'd heard in other contexts. We we're thankful that you're, you know, uh, threatening our water so that we can unite to protect it. It was like yeah. an interesting kind of judo, yeah. you know, yeah. of, and and inspiring. It just, yeah. So 
the next morning we got up early to drive to um, the Ocheti camp, the, the main protest camp there. And um, it was a longer drive than we thought. We, we passed uh, the fort where the uh, veterans were kind of staying and kept going. And as we, as we got close to the camp, um, there's a sign, there was a sign that said road closed. Um, we kept going because we heard that it says road closed, but keep going. And, and then as we got there, there were so many cars going into camp and coming out of camp. It was like a lot of people had come that weekend. Um, the 2,000 veterans were actually 5,000 veterans. And lots of people, I think, had come like we had, uh, anticipating this December 5th eviction idea yeah. and so more people there would be harder to evict so let's go so there were a lot of people like that there were also a lot of people leaving because the weather had gotten severely cold that yeah. day and they weren't prepared and that was the right thing to do for sure um so we came into camp it was early in the morning it's like eight and we've it's kind of a jumble of buildings teepees you've seen the pictures yeah. you know teepees and yurts and falling apart tents and geodesic domes and campers and buses and everything, you know, on this plane. Um, but we, we found a you know, place that seemed reasonable to park and got out of the car and tried to orient and decided to go first to the sacred fire. Our son had told us it's like the, the central place, and yeah. it is. So we went there, and there was a ceremony beginning we had also known that there's usually a morning ceremony. And so people were very quietly, um, let's say prayerfully, intentionally, walking um, in a procession around the fire and then down the road, the main road with all the flags, um, to the river. And this was led by women, Native women. And they would, you know stop and say some prayers and then continue and they were holding water and copper vessels and sort of explaining the meaning of the copper purifies the water and the water being sacred and it was it was a beautiful thing and there were hundreds of people in this line of all sorts native non-native all different ages and it was cold but it wasn't the bitter that was coming it was cold but it wasn't cold cold <laughs> anyway we uh we walked down and um when we got to the river the women were given a little bit of tobacco and went down to offer it prayerfully to the river mm -hmm. tobacco is a sacred offering in the culture and um the men sort of lined the way in, in a gesture of support but it was the woman's ceremony yeah so it was it was I don't know like looking I probably did this wrong in the sense it's not the tradition to look the people in the eye as I'm walking down I think that was actually not what people do in the ceremony mm -hmm. but we just arrived and I was uh so taken by everybody being there and all these different people that I wanted to acknowledge everyone as I'm going down, you know, walking, <laughs> which I did. Um, and I felt very 
connected to people. That that was the feeling, you know. We're here for a common purpose, mm-hmm. and uh, we're going to support each other, and we love the water, and we're going to protect the water, and we're going to help this tribe protect their space, their water, we're going to help them stand up for their rights, because it's about Native rights, mm-hmm. you know. More than anything, it's about Native rights, which have been totally trampled for the, since the beginning of this country and continue to be. And the resistance has been continuous. It just hasn't been acknowledged the way this thing acknowledged it, yeah. you know, brought it to people's consciousness in a way that hasn't happened for a long time. And the Internet wasn't around. Yeah. I think that's maybe the major thing that happened, yeah. you know, yeah. that people heard about it and it resonated with them. So anyway, um, after that ceremony, it was time to, like, this is serious business here. We need to know what we're doing. Um, there was talk about another ceremony, which was the one with the veterans. Um, yeah. So there was, it, was, it was a sense in the camp of, oh, my gosh, we've got, like, 10,000 people here suddenly, and the weather has turned cold, and we have to make sure everybody is okay. Yeah. That was like the main thing happening when we got there. Um, so the celebratory feeling the night before of, yay, this we had this little victory, got refocused into, we don't want anybody to get hurt. And there were, like, there was disinformation going out that there's something, people had died or something, blah, 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 you know. Yeah, so yeah, was, yeah. let's make sure everyone is okay. So... Um, there was an orientation meeting. It was, there's, you know, things are, it looks totally chaotic in a way, but it's actually very well organized. Uh, there's a board that tells you, you know, newcomers, what you should do and how to help. And there's, you know, the medics place and the volunteering place and the orientation space. And, you know, so it, it, they said, newcomers, please come to this orientation. We want you to come to the orientation. So we said, okay, we'll go to the orientation. We'll miss the veteran ceremony. My husband sort of wanted to go, but he also felt more called to doing what was being asked of us. You yeah, know? Yeah. So in this orientation, there were two groups, and our group was like over 100 people, probably 150 people. That's how many new people yeah. had come that day, like 300 yeah. new people. Yeah. I mean, it's like mine, I went out on this windswept plane, you know. Jeez. <laughs> um, the orientation was fascinating. Um, actually, I looked online, and you can find the, the values and the things that they, there's like a, documents for coming to Dapple, coming to Standing Rock. I'll put a link to that yeah, on the web page. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was, uh, it's usually led by a Native person, but when we were there, it was led by, she was taking a break, so it was led by people who've been there for months. Um, and it was an orientation of, you know, understanding of what this place is and what this movement is this thing that you've come to help out with Mm. you know um and it it outlined the lakota values they included honesty you know respect sharing um and and there was a lot of attention paid to 
become more aware of your intentions in coming here hmm. and what you're doing here. And, you know, thank you for coming here. We're so thankful that you're here. And we're so thankful that you've brought donations, if you've brought donations. But that doesn't really entitle you, hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, you might come here and have a great idea about, you might see something, say, oh, I have an idea of how to fix this. Hang on to that. You've just arrived. You know, people have probably thought this through a little bit more. Um, resist the temptation to take over, mm. you know. Um, honor that this is, that you are a guest. Honor the fact that you're a guest, mm -hmm. you know. Defer to Native culture and leadership, basically. And there was so much about that. It was like you could get the sense that, okay, this has been a problem here. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then the longer we were there, we could kind of see it. We, d we saw that, that people come with assumptions and entitlement. And they, they, their, their intentions are good. You know, they want to help. They want to support. But they also kind of don't want to be told, take it easy. Yeah. You know, please listen to us. Please, you know, don't come as a tourist. Don't try to experience all the different jobs that there are in the camp. Learn something. Mm. It, it takes resources to train people to do something. So commit to one thing yeah. and do that thing. Yeah. You know, and um, that was very interesting. Did, and did that make you reflect about your... Yeah, well, before going, I'd done some reflection about this because I had thought about that. You know, you, you just think about what's happening up there and you can see that it could be a drain to go, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and I feel like in the end we were kind of like, a, you know, I don't know if we gave more than we took. I think it was kind of evened out, yeah. you know. <laughs> Given the circumstances, we weren't able to take care of ourselves the way we thought we would because the snow came, our tent made it through the first night. There was no way it was going to make it through the second night or us in it, you know. We managed the first night. Could cook for ourselves, you know, even the most simple things that we had brought, just hot water, no way to boil the water out in that wind in the open, you yeah. know. It yeah. just wasn't happening. Yeah. So you know we recognize that um we went the so the first day well after the orientation when we left the orientation the snow had come and the temperature had dropped mm. and it was like okay want to find something to volunteer in but we have to take care of ourselves first because that was part of it you know take care of yourselves first and take care of other people you know yeah um, so we set up, found a place that seemed like possible to set up our tent and set up about setting it up, which wasn't easy in the snow and the wind. And, you know, we did that. And then that was about it. Then it was like we tried to make, so we did heat up some food. It was kind of a disaster, but, you know, we did it. And that was just kind of like go to bed. Um, so next morning um, we went to... Um, get some food and figure out how we we're going to help. And as we were getting our breakfast, the people who were serving said, anybody want to serve? We you know, need to take a break. So, okay, sure. So we ended up serving food 
that yeah. second day is what we did, which was interesting because you would see lots of different people come in and see, you know, the people asking for this help or that help. And you get a sense of what was going on in the bigger camp. Yeah. And the guy running the kitchen was amazing, um, just keeping all this food coming in. It was amazing, really, that they were able to cook under these conditions what, and what, serve all these people. What kind of food was it? Good food, soup, rice, beans, meat, salad, fruit. Yeah. A lot of people donated things. Um, people were working in the kitchen. Yeah. The dishwashers, they were the real heroes. I mean, it was really cold. <laughs> you know, washing dishes, yeah. your hands in that cold, cold water, you know, and, and just trying to keep it all clean and sanitary and people fed and warm and, you know, and people were appreciative. It was really cold. Um, that morning people came around too and were asking for volunteers to do like a, a check. So they were doing like circular um, checks and make sure everybody was okay in their tents, in their cars, you know, and taking anybody who wasn't okay to the medical tents and getting help for them and, you know, yeah. just watching out for people who were disoriented or, you know. Um, that was most of the second day was at between, you know, taking little breaks or between walking back and forth, we'd go to the sacred fire. And that was a space that was, as was said in the orientation, this isn't a chatty space. This isn't like, this is a prayerful space, you know. And that was definitely true. Um, Native and non-Native people were there. The ethic was deferred to the elders, you know, um, and people did that. And it was, I mean, it was a space of, of prayer and music and um, staying warm by the fire. Mm-hmm. You know. How big was the fire? Small. It wasn't that big. It was, I don't know. It's about a two-foot fire pit, maybe. Two-foot round fire pit. Yeah. There was like a little shrine with, you know, offerings there. Tobacco and sage and other things and um the the orientation and other meetings were held you know um not so much the orient well the orientation too when there were questions you know we'd go around in the circle and um it'd be native people first and then people of color second and there there was this definite consciousness about the dispossessed and you know not assuming your white privilege, mm-hmm. you know. Um, that was a big part of what people were asked to do. Yeah. And, again, being there, you could see, you could see it. I think our, our consciousness has been raised so much this past year or two with, you know, Black Lives Matter and everything about white privilege. This was another take on that, you know, mm. and a consciousness of, the struggle that Native peoples have been through constantly, mm-hmm. you know, and and that's something that would come up in meetings, too, is Native people would would talk about how meaningful this is um, because it's their struggle, too, when wherever they're from, whether it be Scandinavia, South America, you know. Yeah. Um, that was really interesting. So... Yeah, my experience as a traveler through this, it, I'm still processing so many things. 
you know. There were people who showed up who were a real drain on the camp, who were kind of lost people, mm-hmm. you know, just like, oh, this is the place to go. Mm-hmm. Okay, Standing Rock, and they come with their dogs or no sleeping bags, you know, just yeah. kind of got the wrong idea about it. And there was, you know, just a general sense of let's help everybody. Let's make sure everybody's safe. And, mm-hmm. You know, thank you for coming. But also, after, you know, this experience, it was also like it's time to go. Mm. You know? Yeah, yeah. It's time to go because the weather's going to continue to be this way and worse. And it could be, you know, fatal to people if you're not prepared yeah. for it. And, you know. Yeah. And the people who were working there were so... People who'd been there a long time were very... They were talented and socially smart, you mm. know, compassionate, hard workers. Hard workers, people up in the middle of the night making sure everybody's warm and safe, you know, that things are working. It was impressive, really, that level of commitment to something, mm. you know. Mm. And the Native people have been doing this, I mean... And, and are still there, you know. The camp's there. It hasn't disbanded. It's gotten smaller, but it hasn't disbanded. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it needed to get smaller. Mm-hmm. There may come a time when they call for people to come again. But right now, with the weather being what it is, you know, unless you're able to live out in the plains in a plains winter, <laughs> you really shouldn't be there. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know. What what else can I tell you about that? Well, I'm curious. What do you bring back to everyday life from an experience like that? Yeah, yeah. In the orientation, a part of it was one of the precepts was bring it home. Yeah. Bring it home. Yeah. And one of the things is this sense of an awareness of native experience, native dispossession. Mm. Like the, the leaders in the orientation introduced themselves, you know, I'm so-and-so from Shoshone-occupied territory, now known as, you know, whatever. And they mm. give a moment to think, who were the inhabitants of what you call home, mm. right? Do you know? Mm. And, you know, give it a thought, okay, Potawatomi-occupied territory you know um just taking that historical sense of it yeah um that's one thing that's one thing another thing is the power of intentional resistance peaceful intentional resistance i mean that was another thing that was really stressed this is a Resistance ceremonial prayer camp. That's what this is. And it's peaceful. Mm-hmm. And if you're bringing non peaceful things to it, leave. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't want that. If you have a lot of anger you're bringing to it, challenge that into a peaceful way. Mm-hmm. Don't express it violently. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the sense of the, of the, the sense of solidarity of people, so many people from all over coming together with this 
one idea, which, you know, isn't all, I mean, that, that also, there were discussions, there were disagreements, there, were, there was constant working through of different ideas. Yeah. But that was done in a pretty egalitarian way. People would, you know, um, pass the sage stick, the talking stick, yeah. take their turns, listen before talking. I mean, that was a big part of it. And, and, and the silent, the, the value of not talking. <laughs> Is powerful. The value of listening. Mm. Oh my God! I mean, that's that was. I felt that strongly there. Like silence can be very eloquent, and mm. giving something space to be digested in instead of reacting to it, you know, and actually giving space to hear somebody instead of just knee jerk responding. There was a lot of that happening in, you know, the meetings. So there were meetings um, yeah, yeah. that were happening, planning meetings, decolonization meetings, veterans meetings. And um, the second night we slept in a dome, which is a meeting space. So we were uh, witnesses, more than participants, but witnesses to some of the conversations going on, conducted in a circle you know, yeah. with the talking stick. Yeah. And not not everybody not on the same page, not at all. Yeah. But respectfully listening. Yeah. And respectfully disagree. Yeah. 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 It's it's a good lesson. It's a good lesson really. Yeah. And I'm very happy to be talking to you between Two trips mm-hmm. of resistance. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Saturday. Oh <laughs> Can my you God. Briefly talk resistance about what you're about is to the do. word. Resist, I, resist, resist. Who knows what world I will be releasing oh this episode into? So, listeners of the future, we're talking to you from January 17th, 2017. You're about to go to the Women's March uh, in Washington, day after the inauguration. Women's March, but it's everybody's march. Um, yeah, what to say about that? We're in, <laughs> where do you begin? I mean, oh my gosh, we have such an unqualified <sighs> person about ready to become president of the United States. Unqualified is like the nicest thing I think I can say. Yeah. <laughs> I can say a lot of not nice things. Um, Let me ask this. Why do you want to go to that, and what do you hope it will do? I want to send a really strong message that the values that have been expressed and espoused by Trump in his speeches, in his choices for cabinet picks, in his tweets, in whatever, are not acceptable. We're not going back. We're not going back to limiting people's rights, you know, whether they be women's health rights, reproductive rights, uh, voting rights, housing rights, whatever. We're not going back to a place of hate. Hmm. The climate is important. Climate change is not a hoax. This is our future. This is important. I mean, where do you start? Just any any justice, which, you know, 
there's a million things to cry out. No, you don't. No, we won't. We're going to resist. It's our democracy. You know, mm-hmm. we're not going to let this go. And uh, the sense, again, of lots of people coming out and saying it, I think, is important. Um, So I think everybody ought to go somewhere, D.C., or to whatever march is close to you, and just express that it's not okay to limit rights, to separate families, Mm -hmm. to be hateful. This isn't okay to let the earth change to a state where we won't recognize it and there'll be climate refugees and species dying and total disruption and Mm. really hard when we've been making progress in so many areas slowly but surely we've been making progress and Trump represents a huge step backwards in all these areas Mm. it's just like no I I really feel it's a time to resist. It's a time to come together in coalition and work, not just like moaning that it's a problem, but actually doing things on a local level Mm -hmm. and in any level that we can Mm -hmm. to keep the progress we've been making going forward and halt what seems like this huge backward step. And I'm not entirely hopeful that... We're not going to backslide. I think we are going to backslide, but I'm hoping that it will be contained and not be as bad as it could be. Yeah. Well, let me ask a more positive question. Let's end on a happier <laughs> note. <laughs> no, it's so depressing. <laughs> I uh, appreciate you telling the story of your trip to Standing Rock so mm-hmm. much, and that's the focus of this episode, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. just out of habit i have to ask what i always ask at the end mm-hmm. what's your best travel story oh my gosh my life? best travel story in my life oh, oh i don't know if i could come up with the best <laughs> travel story in my life well, i can't do that but i will i'll come up with an, an image from standing rock that um stays oh, with me perfect when i was um i was working on demantling the tent at the second for the you know, second day uh, in this you know, blizzard snowstorm. And we had brought extra things to donate. So you know, the layers of things we were on and that were over us, we were planning to donate. So I was um, carrying over some blankets um, to the donation tent. And uh, uh, someone who was there, a native guy there, was eating a roasted banana. And he just, he just stopped me and he said, oh, taste this, taste this. <laughs> And and I did. I love roasted bananas. And you know, it was really freezing cold, the winds blowing like crazy, you know. And and I did. And it was just like heaven. And it was just, just this moment of joy of of the appreciation of this warm banana and this this gesture of sharing, you know. Um and this and this lightness in this heavy time, you know, mm. this And then I asked him if he could use some blankets. And he was so happy. He said, oh, yeah, oh, absolutely, you know. And so then I gave him the blankets for his yurt, you know. It was just, I don't know, what was that about that? That random connection with a stranger that 
deep human connection of the things that we love and the yeah. ways we can help each other, you know, it was beautiful. And yeah, that's something that, that's an image I keep. Thank you so much. You're welcome and get a crack. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>